Blackout in wartime Berlin. What an incredible story. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We're happy to have you back with us again for some more incredible stories. Now, if you're listening to us for the first time, welcome to the show. I really hope that you enjoy it, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, And if you like it, well, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and uh, join us for every... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Jumping over my tongue over here. Oh, we're getting join excited us. about I know, I'm just story. really excited. Uh, join us every Friday for new episodes. And uh, if you think somebody else is going to like these uh, stories or might be interested in uh, the trail mix of um, tales that we have to weave, uh, go ahead and share it on social media. That'd be a, a big help to us, too. All right, now, uh, jumping into the thick of it, uh, what is our story about today? Well, our story, uh, as I mentioned in our uh, teaser there, is uh, absolutely incredible. And just to follow up on one, uh, one thing you said in your welcome, Gary, um, you know, so we are in uh, now three dozen countries around the world. Can you uh, believe that? I know. Can you I believe know. that? Three dozen countries. Our most recent addition was Iceland. Yes. And so uh, we are now, um, uh, we now have listeners in Iceland. Yes, yes, yes. And I think there was, wasn't there one other place? Peru. Peru, yeah. That was, that that was, was one it. of our newer yeah. ones. Yeah. Iceland and Peru. Welcome, yeah. Iceland, and welcome, Peru. Yeah, and everybody in yes. all four corners of the world around the globe, wherever right. you may be listening this evening, we are happy to be with you. Now, first of all, let's start with a word of caution. This is a two-part episode of the Berlin Blackout. Uh, so uh, this is part one this evening, and then uh, we will follow up with part two. In both cases, I must tell you that this is mature content, and I personally do not believe that it's suitable for younger audiences. Now, this this one is going to be a true crime. Yes, and it so. involves a serial killer, and it gets uh, a bit on the graphic side. Yes. So, so if that bothers please you, please use discretion in choosing whether or not to listen to the next couple episodes. Yeah. Well, basically, if if, it, if that kind of thing bothers you, then this might not be the episode for you, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but if you like true crime, well, join us because we are definitely going to be uh, doing a little bit of uh, detective work here to see if we can figure it out before the answer is given to us. Yeah, what we like to do is offer you uh, what uh, I would uh, compare to trail mix. You never know what kind of incredible story you're going to get. It could be dealing with American history or, in this case, uh, the history of World War II. But um, some of our episodes have dealt with the Holocaust. But then we've had ghost stories. We've had creepy ghost stories that have been fun. We've had haunted houses. And we've had, Mm -hmm. oh, gosh, you name it, uh, just about everything. A trail mix. A trail mix. That's what we like to refer to it as. So uh, with that, let's go ahead, Gary, and get started. Yes, Uh, yes, yes. Now... You don't remember this, so you're not old enough, but um, <laughs> when England and France declared war on Hitler's Germany on uh, September 1st, 1939, you don't go back that far, do you? Not even close. Okay. Neither do I, uh, for that matter. Um, 
World War II officially began on that date, September 1st, 1939. Uh, in Europe, children were just starting their first day of school after summer vacation. What a, what a way to start school. Um, but immediately, at, at, right at that point, all of the sides in this conflict began to impose blackout regulations uh, to protect their citizens against air raids. Mm-hmm. They knew that this war was going to include aerial combat and um, bombardment. And so uh-huh. uh, precautions immediately were taken against air raids. <clears throat> now, Berlin, which, as you know, Gary, was the capital of Hitler's Third Reich, mm-hmm. uh, it, that was no exception. The blackout regulations were issued on that very first morning of the conflict, September 1, 1939. Mm-hmm. Now, I happen to have the content of those blackout regulations. Oh, do you? Yeah. So uh, for those of our uh, listeners who are really fine-tuned to history, here's what those blackout regulations for Berlin, Germany said. Um, During the eight hours of darkness, all light sources were to be shaded or filtered. Oh. So that included shop windows, railway stations, buses, you name it, all sources of light. All windows indoors, whether they were in factories or shops or restaurants or your home, were to be shuttered and curtained. Oh. And skylights, because there were some places that had skylights, and uh, cellar ventilators were to be sealed with waxed paper or sandbags. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, they hermetically <laughs> sealed off any source of light when you stop and think about it. Sure that. sounds like it. Yeah. Um, and according to the wording of the decree, no light was to be visible from a height of 500 meters. So that's why they went down to the nth detail on yeah. extinguishing all light whatsoever or right. filtering it or shading it to where it really couldn't be seen above 500 meters. Now, if the cities and towns could not be seen from the air, the thinking went, then they could hardly be bombed. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm jumping ahead a few years. Um, that thinking turned out to be faulty because, um, although the war started out with nighttime bombing, uh, later on, uh, the Americans bombed in the daytime. Yeah, so it wouldn't really make a difference if so your lights were out, would it? Once, yeah, so once the uh, daytime bombing started happening with the American uh, Air Force, Army Air Force, then the blackout regulations uh, became semi-obsolete. They never, they never abandoned them, but uh, you know, they became obsolete because sure, um, the daytime <clears throat> bombing didn't rely on extinguishing light sources. Yeah. Now uh, the uh, Officials, the officials in Germany, Nazi Germany, uh, realized that folks were going to need some help transitioning to the blackout, uh-huh. to this inky darkness that all of a sudden was going to prevail for eight hours, every right. 24 hours. And so um, for the pedestrians, this is what they did, pedestrians being the people who walked around, right? Right. All right. Phosphorescent paint was applied to the curbstones and the street corner crossings. Mm -hmm. If there were some pavement obstacles, they were marked with a stripe 
steps. You know, you can trip and fall on steps if you're oh, walking easily. in the dark and can't see where you're going. Well, they were painted with a zigzag in fluorescent paint, phosphorescent oh. paint. Okay. Okay, zigzag. And there were luminous arrows that were painted on walls that gave directions to the nearest air raid shelter. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, that was for pedestrians or people walking around. Uh, that's uh, how they uh, helped uh, keep them safe in the blackout. Yeah. Now, for those who are riding bicycles, we don't consider them pedestrians. They're not really uh, motorists either. But uh, for those riding bicycles, they had to shield their lights with red cloth or paper. Why do you think that was red and not green or blue? I have no idea. Well, green and blue filters were not permitted because they were the colors that were used by the police and the fire brigade. Oh. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> your bicycle had to have red cloth or paper. Now for Berlin's motorists. Well, they had a bunch of new driving rules, Gary. Uh, the vehicle headlights had to be screened with only a rectangular opening no longer than 5 by 8 centimeters. Now wow. that is tiny. Yeah, it is. Um, and they were also encouraged to use their horns more frequently. <laughs> so oh, go ahead, good. hit your horn anytime you want. That's good. Could you imagine account. trying to sleep? Uh, I know, especially at night with all these cars honking their horns. Well, but believe it or not, Carrie, um, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the inhabitants of Berlin adapted pretty well to these new regulations. Really? Yeah. Um, and the pedestrians, they actually took to carrying flashlights with the appropriate filter. Wow. They call them torches, but uh, flashlights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they got really creative, and they made these small phosphorescent badges, and they shaped them like uh, clover leaves, uh, four-leaf clover, or horseshoes, and they would pin them on their clothing, and that helped them to avoid bumping into somebody else walking around in the inky darkness. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And so that was, I thought that was pretty innovative. I had yeah. never, I had never known that or heard that until we researched the blackout for this episode. Yeah. Um, and here's one that I think, uh, is quite, <clears throat> quite humorous. There are humorous moments that emerge from World War II. This is one of them. Uh, the people, uh, would start carrying canes and they'd rattle the canes and tap them on the sidewalk as they walked along. So, you could hear somebody coming, right? Uh-huh. And if you didn't want to carry a cane, <laughs> they some of them actually, and more than just some, a lot of them would imitate the old-time uh, auto horns with cries of honk, honk, honk. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Can you imagine walking around in the dark and hurrah, hurrah. <laughs> yeah, thing a whole bunch of crazies outside. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, they would imitate the old time car horns uh, to avoid bumping into each other when they were walking around and during the blackout. And uh, but one Berliner, um, she wrote in her diary, "Wow, how brightly the stars seem to shine over the city. We see stars over Berlin for the first time." Isn't that something? Yeah, so uh, I guess the blackout was a mixed blessing for people. I guess so. I mean, if you're going to be able to see the stars at night, uh, that's one of the problems that we have is the light pollution. 
Yeah. You yeah. can, uh, yeah, but it's true. I know a few times when we've had hurricanes and the power's out, you can definitely see everything up there. Mm-hmm. And you're right. We have so much uh, light pollution in our all of our metropolitan areas. That, oh, yeah. Uh, you have to go way out in the country if you want to really see the yeah. stars uh, to any extent. And so this was something for the people who, you know, uh, enjoyed nature. And a lot of Europeans to this day love the earth, love the planet, love nature, love the animals and the wildlife. Uh-huh. So... Anyhow, what about the people who decided that they weren't going to pay attention to some of these regulations? Because you probably know a modern equivalent where a country has tried to put regulations in to control something terrible. Mm -hmm. And people have said, eh, you're imposing on my freedom or I'm just not going to do it. Uh, You you probably can think of a situation like that. I'm sure I can think of a few situations Uh, like that. Anyhow, um, the Germans weren't going to tolerate any of that. So they had air raid wardens and they were always on hand to patrol the streets and they would yell, Lichtaus! Lights out. Uh Lichtaus! Yeah, they did that in the U.S. and uh, in Britain too. Yeah. Uh, To those who are careless about the blackout now, what do you think the punishments might have been? Jail. <laughs> well, yeah, that's possible. Whipping. I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know if anybody got whipped, but the um, initial punishment um, was uh, shaming. And so oh. the air raid warden might post some kind of placard on your property that said, this house is poorly blacked out. Oh, so they, uh, like middle school, they just make you feel terrible. Yeah, yeah. This house is not properly blacked out. Now, if shaming didn't do it, the offenders might receive a visit from the authorities or a personal lecture from the local Ooh. air raid warden. And if that didn't do it, now we're ratcheting up, right, mm-hmm. Gary? We're not going to get the whipping, but we're ratcheting up. Then there were fines. Now, the fines weren't anything great. I think it was 10 Fennig, you know, uh, nothing serious. But, right. Uh, nevertheless, there was a fine. And if you didn't pay, that's when it became serious. Two days in jail. Uh, so now we've ratcheted it up. Yeah. And then the ultimate is something that I thought was very uh, creative in the, you know, in the uh, spectrum of punishments. They would cut your electricity off for eight days. Ooh, I think that'd be worse than uh, oh, yeah, jail the time. T- than the two days in jail, yeah. or the ten fetting fine, or the placard on yeah. your building. Can you imagine having to do without electricity for yeah. eight days? That would be quite some time. I can guarantee you that people were very careful about the blackout. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, like I say, most people weren't really threatened by court prosecution in jail, but boy, that cutting off your electricity. Uh, so, um, I'm looking at the September 1939 Berlin police report at the moment, Gary, and it says that nine out of 10 accidents involving trains, that's 90%, were indirectly caused by the blackout. Like people being hit by trains? Yeah, how, how could that be? Well, here, here's an example. On October 8th, this is after the report that I've got here for September. On October 8th, in an inner city uh, uh, train, it overran a set of signals and plowed into the back of a commuter train. So in that case, Ooh. 
the engineer of the train was disoriented yeah, was by the darkness. Engineer. So he overran the signals. <clears throat> by the way, he um, was at first uh, charged with uh, neglect and then later cleared, and they decided that, yeah, it was the blackout that caused yeah. that. Um, that wreckage caught fire, and actually 24 passengers were killed. 24 people killed in this one incident. So <clears throat> the blackout was deadly. Yeah. was deadly right out of the gate. Yep, right out the gate. A little more than a month after it was instituted, 24 people are killed uh, in this train crash. So right out of the gate, the blackout becomes deadly. Yeah. Now, uh, Berlin's roads weren't much safer, as you can imagine, driving in blackout conditions fraught with danger. The cars just crawled along the street, picking their way through the darkness. Yeah. And then there was crime. Bum, bum, bum. Aided and abetted by the blackout. Oh, people take advantage of uh, situations where they can get away with anything. And we're not going to deal with all of the petty crime or <clears throat> burglaries or things of that nature tonight because there's quite a bit of that. Oh, I'm sure. We're going to be dealing with something very specific. Murder. Murder, Gary. Ooh. There were a number of widely publicized murder cases in that autumn of 1939, and they started causing alarm among the authorities and among the population. Uh, one of them, listen to this, concerned a man who apparently murdered his wife in a fit of rage. He then bundled her body into some kind of box or container and lashed it to the back of his bicycle, and under the cover of the blackout, he successfully rode across the city with his wife's body lashed to the back of his bicycle oh and dumped her corpse in the Havel River. Ew. Aided and abetted by darkness. Darkness from the blackout. <clears throat> <clears throat> then there was a second case, Gary, even more gruesome. And once again, I caution folks, this is not, uh, you know, for the very faint of heart or the young. Week of stomach. Mm -hmm. In early uh, October of 39, again, just a little over a month after the blackout was instituted, a dismembered, what does dismember mean for some of our folks who have English as a second language? Dis Chopped up. Okay. A dismembered female body was discovered in three different locations across the city. The arms and legs were found in the stairwells of apartments. Oh, my God. Can you imagine living in an apartment, going up the stairwell and spotting an arm or a leg? No. The torso, minus the head, was found in another part of the city. And the internal organs were discovered in a third location. Oh. And the victim's head was never found. It's like a Jack the Ripper type thing. Yeah. Aided and abetted by... Darkness. ...of the blackout. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now... I tell you what, the criminal police um, in Berlin uh, were highly professional policemen. Uh -huh. um, they were able to identify the victim. Really? Turns out that she was an 18-year-old from Breslau, and even more unbelievable, the police were able to identify and arrest her killer. How? Well, under interrogation, he told them why they never discovered the victim's head. He had baked it in his oven. What? Yeah. 
<clears throat> then he confessed, by the way, to two other murders, which solved two other cases. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, obviously, he was executed, but yeah, it was obvious that the blackout aided him in carrying out his uh, deadly crime spree. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you don't associate this kind of story with the blackout. Whenever no. we talk about wartime blackout during World War II, you think about air raids. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like you said, there there was more to World War II, that era of time that we are unaware of. Yeah. We're, we're <clears throat> mostly aware of the... Uh, the stories of, of what happened during World War II as far as the war is concerned and the battles, Holocaust. Battles. But there's these unusual stories that occurred that yeah. are just part of life uh, in those times, and being a citizen or just being in that country uh, yeah. that had nothing to do with the war. Yeah, you're exactly it, right. And it's fascinating to look at what, society, what was happening in society during wartime. And this is something I don't think we do enough of. Looking at the, the little pieces? Mm-hmm. Now, here in the United States, we have one place called the Center for the Study of Society and War. So there's one place yeah. in the United States that does look into these kind of things. And that uh, center is located at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Yeah, I'm sure that there's more uh, around the United States. That's that's definitely one of the the big ones, though. Right? Yeah, they are they are definitely interested in what the civilians were doing, or yeah. uh, the fact that uh, you'd lose your electricity for eight days if you didn't uh, if you're a chronic uh, blackout offender. Sure. Now. Um, in the autumn of 1940, this is a year later now. Yeah. Fast forward a year. Um, we find out that those blackout murders in Berlin did not stop after the arrest of this character who baked his wife's head in the oven. Or the 18-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, that the wasn't his dumped. wife. That was the 18-year-old girl. Right. I got the two mixed up there. Um, in the autumn of 1940, a year later, uh, a woman's body was discovered in her home in an eastern suburb of Berlin. She was uh, the 20-year-old mother of two, and she had been strangled and stabbed in the neck, and uh, there were no witnesses. Oh. So if you were a member of the criminal uh, Polizei, or they shortened it for Kripo, they called uh-huh. it the criminal uh, police, Kripo, criminal mm-hmm. Polizei, uh, they had their work cut out for them. No witnesses. Oh, yeah. and, and here's what they've got. Now, they did in, uh, see that the murder uh, appeared to be part of a pattern. Uh-huh. There were three other women who had been stabbed in that very same Berlin district over the previous year. Now, all three of those had survived. But the coincidence of location and method gave the criminal police detectives the idea that a single suspect might be responsible for all the crimes. Uh, okay? That makes sense. Yeah. Same location, same method of attack. Yeah. One dead, three survive, and you've got three survivors testifying right. as to exactly what happened. Right. So they're really g- gathering a lot of good information. But then... Two further assaults took place nearby. 
and one woman had been dazzled by a man with a flashlight before being beaten unconscious. Oh, my gosh. She survived to describe that. A second victim was beaten and thrown from a moving train. Oh. Now, all the offenses had been committed under the cover of darkness, which was enhanced by the... Blackout. Blackout. Now, as a result of the blackout, there was no useful description of the suspect. Yeah. It was dark. They couldn't see who they No, were, of course not. The victims. Cover of night. Uh, about the only thing they could uh, tell the investigators was that he was male. He had yeah. a slight build and average height. Yeah. Now, I want you and our listeners to remember this because in episode two, Gary, I'm going to ask you and our listeners mm -hmm. to be the detectives to solve the mystery and come up oh. with the killer. So here is one fact that you will squirrel away in your memory. Okay. The suspect was male, slight build, average height, operating in, in this one uh, district of Berlin. Okay, got it. Okay. So now a month later, on the night of November 4th, 1940, this suspect struck again. This is toward the end of the year in 1940. Yeah. Uh, this time, uh, a 30-year-old woman was attacked on a train traveling between stations southeast of Berlin and not far from the location of the previous attacks. Mm -hmm. Now, as before, the victim had been hit over the head in the near darkness of the blacked-out train car, because remember, the trains were blacked out, too. Right. Inside the train car. And she also was thrown from the moving train. Can you imagine the injuries and the oh, it would pain be terrible. That yeah, that would be involved in being yeah. thrown from a moving train. Fortunately for the investigators, she survived. She was able to tell the police. Now listen to this. Uh -huh. Clue number two that you, you and our listeners are going to need in episode two because you're all going to have to put your detective caps on and come up with the killer. Um, this is clue number two. She said that her assailant had been wearing the uniform of the German railroad system. Uh. And the weapon that was used in the attack, a lead pipe, it was found. Oh. In a nearby rail car. Really? Yeah. So now you have a general description of the suspect, and you have somebody who obviously has access to the trains, wore the uniform of a right. railway official, was able to hide his lead pipe on the train. Are you starting to uh, put a picture together in your mind as to what kind of suspect you would look for? Well, yeah, the, somebody who works for the rail race, okay. uh, railway station. So in the early morning of December 4th, a 19-year-old woman was found unconscious by the roadside of those railroad tracks. Right. Well, the, the railroad keeps coming into this. That it? it is. Her head had been fractured with a blunt instrument. She died later that day in the hospital without ever regaining consciousness. Oh. So she was unable to give any testimony. <clears throat> but she was found near the railroad tracks, so uh -huh. her body testified to a certain extent. Of course. <clears throat> now, that same day, investigators received reports of the discovery of a second body only 500 meters away from where the 19-year-old victim had been found. This woman's name was Elfrida Franke, 
and she was a 26-year-old nurse. She had been thrown from a train. Oh, this is starting to be a pattern. And had also suffered a fractured skull. Now, we're starting to see a pattern here, Gary. Yes, we are. Those policemen, they were really sharp, uh, veteran police officers in the criminal Pulitzer. So the police investigating all of these deadly assaults was the cripple. And cripple officers were, like I say, highly trained, very experienced, unlike many of the ones that were in the Gestapo. So long before Hitler came to power, these guys were solving major crimes in Germany. This was nothing new to them. The latest spate of attacks and murders led them to believe that they were dealing, number one, with a serial killer. Yeah. That's easy to conclude, right? Yep. All right. And making their investigation even more difficult, however, were some suicides and accidental deaths caused during the blackouts because sometimes it Uh might be hard to distinguish between suicide and murder. Right. Or an accident. Well, I mean, to an extent, you can, when it comes to a suicide, typically the person does not beat themselves over the head with a pipe and then throw themselves from the train. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, uh, strangle themselves and then stab themselves in the neck. uh, There's a few things you can kind of rule out there i think well fortunately for us i've uh, brought uh, with us tonight an example of a suicide that at first fooled these highly professional police officers okay um in uh, december of 1940 the last month of the year there were 28 deaths registered occurring near berlin railroad tracks now that's That definitely ties the railroad to these uh, killings, if you ask me. Sure. And then in the same area of Berlin, which is a huge, sprawling city, come on. Now, 25 of those deaths were directly attributed to the blackout. They were people unwittingly stepping off platforms in the darkness or being hit by speeding trains while crossing the unlit tracks. Right. So it seems like the blackout was obstructing the police at every turn. Was it an accident? Was it suicide? Was it murder? Well, here it is. The killer's next victim was initially misinterpreted as a suicide. Here's uh, what happened. Three weeks after that double murder on December 22nd, another female corpse was found close to the railway tracks, and it also had a fractured skull. Oh. So first impression is? Serial killer. Serial killer, another victim. But investigation determined that this victim who was 30 years old had a history of serious illness and had been diagnosed with depression oh so accordingly the initial criminal police report concluded that the cause of death was suicide and that the victim had died actually from jumping from the train uh but could they prove that because now to that same note just because a person had a history of mm-hmm. depression doesn't mean that. doesn't mean that they weren't a victim, right? And this is <clears throat> a, an age before forensic uh, science was really mm-hmm. on point. Mm-hmm. So for you and me, uh, we'll go ahead and put a question mark on that. Uh, yes. However, uh, for the uh, Berlin police, uh, this one, which they initially thought uh, was a, a murder, they eventually ruled uh, suicide. Now, within a couple of weeks, 
Two additional victims were found, Gary, in that same vicinity. Boy, they're falling like flies, dropping like flies. Yeah. So first on December 29th, the body of a 46-year-old was found close to the railroad tracks in that same area where all the other victims were found, and she too had a fractured skull and appeared to have been thrown from a train. A week later, on January 5th, 1941, probably the first murder of the new year, the body of a 28-year-old was found in similar circumstances. Both cases, the Creepo concluded, fit the profile of the previous four murders as well as the earlier assaults. Uh The police suspected this deadly crime spree was the work of one man who the public were now calling the S-Bahn murderer. The S-Bahn was one of the railroad lines, one of the subway lines. The S-Bahn murderer, B-A-H-N is a German word. Uh, the realization that the killer was stalking the darkened streets of the capital caused very considerable alarm in Berlin, as you can imagine, especially, of course. Among, especially among the women. Of course. Remember, many of the uh, city's men were away serving in the armed forces. So yep. that left a lot of women who were drafted into working long hours in factories and businesses and having to travel maybe to or from work in the dark yeah in the blackout so it's easy to see how mass hysteria was a possibility oh absolutely so authorities were faced with um difficult decision how much information to share with the public you don't want everybody panicked no it's kind of like it's kind of like covid you know how much information do you share uh, because you don't want everybody to go absolutely berserk. Right. And on the other hand, you need a vigilant public who has enough information to do the right thing and protect themselves. Yeah. So uh, where do you draw the line? Of course. With how much information is put out, how it's put out, and how quickly it's put out. Yeah. So obviously, though, uh, a public that was aware of all this could help lead to the identification and arrest of the killer. Now, as uh, one senior police officer did warn at the time, and these are his exact words, we should not exaggerate the whole thing and drive the people of Berlin crazy. Yeah. That sound like the pandemic? Yeah. Don't alarm the public and and drive the people crazy. Oh, it's amazing how history can repeat itself, Gary. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know what, though? uh, that goes for everything because if you look at any of the cases uh, of, of serial killers during the uh, 70s and 80s and 60s, um, there was a lot that they didn't say because they didn't want people to panic. When you think of like the son of Sam, there was a curfew in New York. Um, anybody who was female and fit the description of the victims, they were told to go in. Don't stay out late. You know, if you had brown hair and I think it was like brown brown hair brown eyes green eyes whatever uh you weren't supposed to be out on the street and anybody who you know fit that description was paranoid beyond belief um and they didn't disclose a whole lot but you know they enough that people got worried same thing with the zodiac i mean a lot of people were uh terrified uh, about doing certain things or going to certain places because um somebody in san francisco was out there um picking people off uh in in certain locations but Mm -hmm. they they had to leave certain details out 
you know, because otherwise then you end up with copycats. Yeah. 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 So, um, it's amazing. History can sometimes, um, instruct us as to how we deal with the present. Mm -hmm. Well, in our next episode, Gary, I'm going to ask you, I hope you accept this challenge. I'm going to ask you to lead our listeners, let them be your assistants at home, to lead our listeners through an investigation which will result in the arrest of this killer that we have just described tonight. I'm going to remind you, Gary, of what the police knew. And I'm going to ask you and our listeners, while they're listening in real time, to try to solve the case before I tell everyone what the police actually did. All righty. Is everyone ready to become a podcast investigator and solve? Well, I know I am. Okay. Well, right. there you are. Well, until next time, I hope you're all ready to become detectives. And uh, oh. I'm still Gary. And I'm Richard. And uh, we thank you for joining us. And again, if you liked the show and you liked uh, all of the entertaining uh, things that happened, catch us every Friday for a new episodes. So hit that subscribe button. Talk to you later. <laughs>